United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. You know, uh, we've been talking a little bit, and we've had some guests come on and mention this UN General Assembly that's happening this week, and President Biden's heading up uh, later today, heading up to New York City to speak at the, the UN General Assembly. Let's talk about what that all means with Corinne Graff, who's a senior uh, advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace, focusing on long-term strategies and policies that prevent the outbreak and escalation of conflict in fragile states. Really great background she's got from 2018 to 2019, senior policy advisor to the staff on the task force on violent extremism in fragile states. So, Dr. Graff, how are you? Good morning, Elliot. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm great. So much. Sorry? I'm great. great. Thank you. No, thanks so much for being here. Now, first question, are you um, virtual for work or are you in the office again? And there's a reason why I'm asking you that. Sure. We're, we're actually mostly virtual, but we're starting to come back in little by little. Now, do you so and that means going to the U.S. Institute of Peace building in downtown Washington, right? Which that's right is the coolest building on earth <laughs> for people who are not from Washington. Literally Google right now or maybe not wait till a commercial break, but Google U.S. Institute of Peace building. It's really cool. It's designed and that structure on top of it that I only I mean, I've, been, I've lived in Washington for 15 years, but I didn't realize it's a dove, the wings of a dove for peace. How cool is that? That's right. No, it's definitely a beautiful place and worth visiting if you're in Washington. Yeah. So, no, but th and thank you for that. So, anyway, really cool space. Um, so, before we get into uh, UN General Assembly, just what is the U.S. Institute of Peace and what do you do there? So, we're what you uh, call a think and do tank. <laughs> so, we have programs around the world um, in conflict-affected countries that seek to help uh, build peace through dialogues, uh, reconciliation programs. And then we also do analysis um, in Washington and uh, analyze policy, provide recommendations to policymakers. So we do a little bit of both. Um, but we've been doing this uh, for about uh, 40 years now, 30 to 40 years. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it's a great place to work. Um, it yeah. definitely brings satisfaction every single day. Now, so I assume you're keeping a close eye on the UN General Assembly. And as we understand it, the theme this week is building resilience through hope, right? And that's you know, typically focused on COVID and such things. But where might your work touch on that, this whole question of hope and resilience? Yes, so absolutely. As you point out, so the theme this year at the General Assembly is resilience. Um, and many of the discussions this week will focus on how to make countries and communities more resilient to the global pandemic um, and to COVID-19, of course, and more resilient to the impacts of climate change, like the wildfires and storms that we've seen this year in the United States and elsewhere. But what's important to underscore is that the U.N. General, uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres' agenda of building resilience is framed largely in terms of governance and how states are delivering or failing to deliver, as the case may be, for their citizens. Um, so government services like health care and disaster assistance are, of course, critical aspects of the social contract. 
given the twin global crises that we face. But a strong social contract is also really key to peace and security. So we know, for example, that when leaders promote national dialogue and unity and when state institutions are perceived as just, um, violence and conflict are less likely. And conversely, in places where states are fragile and the social contract is frayed, conflict and violence are more likely. So effective and legitimate state institutions are key to building resilience against many of the global challenges we face today, um, including the risk of violent extremism and the civil wars that we're seeing in places like Myanmar, Ethiopia, and Syria. Now, um, when we talk about COVID or pandemics or the kinds of things that are on the UN General Assembly's mind right now, one would think that peace and getting toward peace would probably be the last thing, oddly enough, on the United Nations mind, right? So what's the likelihood that the issues you care about get crowded out by some of the other things that I hesitate to say are more pressing? And that's not my wording, but you know what I mean, that to some extent, uh, many might see as more immediately urgent issues. Yes, absolutely. I think it's a it's a great question. I think conflict will actually figure quite prominently in this week's high level discussions for several reasons. Um, there are of course the rising tensions with China and Russia, but we're also seeing at the national level in many countries that the social contract that we just talked about is under stress, which is also a serious threat to international peace and security. So we see the signs of the stress in public opinion polls around the world that show that distrust in government is at an all-time high. Um, more than ever, citizens have very low trust in government, including here in the United States. And we also see signs of that strain in the social contract in the many anti-government protests that have occurred around the world. For example, most recently in Tunisia, North Africa, and El Salvador. And this surge in protest signals that there's really a yawning gap in government legitimacy right now. And the risk is that these tensions could lead to violence or sow the seas of future conflicts down the road. So the risk of conflict and instability must really remain uh, front and center at the U.N. General Assembly this year. There's another reason I think uh, it will figure on the agenda, and that is it's important to remember that some of the global crises we're facing today, particularly one we haven't talked about yet, but the hunger crisis and the migration crisis, many of these crises are actually being fueled by conflict. So Mm -hmm. here in the United States, we're seeing how violence and insecurity in Central America are fueling migration to the U.S., but forced displacement of people is really happening around the world on an enormous scale, in fact, on a larger scale than at any time since World War II, And so it'll be really important for leaders to talk not only about the humanitarian crises that are the symptoms of conflicts, but also about how to resolve and, if possible, prevent the conflicts that are at the root of so much human suffering. And then third, by the same token, it's also important to remember that the global challenges we face, like climate um, change and forced migration, are also contributing to conflicts, as we've seen in parts of Africa and Central African Republic and the Sahel. And so it's really important to address the global challenges we face today holistically and to deal not just with the symptoms of these emergencies, but their root causes as well. 
Got it. And last thing. Um, so I, tomorrow is International Peace Day. And I, I assume the uh, U.S. Institute of Peace is, is involved in that and will be celebrating in some way. What will you all be doing? Yes, absolutely. Tomorrow is the International Day of Peace, and uh, the U.S. Institute of Peace will mark the occasion by continuing our Peace Day Challenge. Um, and this year, our theme is Profiles in Peace, and we're asking people to think of someone who in their own life motivated them to make a difference by encouraging them to manage conflict nonviolently. So we're asking folks to share their story at hashtag Peace Day Challenge, all in one word. And you can go to our website at the U.S. Institute of Peace and search for Peace Day Challenge. Um, so it could be someone from your family, someone from your community, like a teacher, community leader, or other individual who seeks to reduce conflict. Or it could be somebody with a more global stature, like Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, uh, Martin Luther King, um, someone whose words or image alone can inspire us. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, I come from a long line of extremely combative people. And so uh, that this is an important and valuable exercise that I look forward to engaging in. And I think it's probably something that we should all do at some point uh, to make peace a, you know, give peace a chance, as it were. I remember when Dennis Kucinich, running for president of the United States, called for a... Um, uh, peace-level cabinet department, people sort of rolled their eyes at it. Anyway, um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Graff, for being here. This is Corinne Graff uh, at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Elliot. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.